Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. There's two names to remember. The both of them will come up in table quizzes in years to come. First of all, you'll be asked who was the first person in the world to receive the COVID 19 vaccine that wasn't involved in an actual trial. Her name was Margaret Keenan. She's originally from Enniskillen, has lived in Coventry for more than 60 years. She got it this morning at 6 o'clock in the morning in the care home she lives in, in a hospital, her local hospital in, in Coventry. And also, uh, she turns 91 next week. So there's an early birthday present for Margaret Keenan. And then the really sticky table quiz will ask you, who was the second person to get the vaccine and her name was Joella Sloan she's 28 and she was she's a nurse from Dundrummond County down and uh, she was given the vaccination uh, as part of her job as a former emergency department nurse so she was given the vaccine this morning she's a healthcare worker nurse at the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast so there's the first two uh, people in the world Margaret Keenan will be 91 next week and Joanna Sloan who's 28 and a healthcare worker. You'll be remembering those names. They'll be table quiz questions in the years to come. Good morning. 1850-715-996, the number. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. Coming up a bit later this morning, with the new vaccine coming and with the numbers the way they are and all of that, Michal Martin insists that they were right to keep the wet pubs closed. If wet pubs were opened... There's no doubt that we'd be facing very dramatically escalating numbers. Do you agree with him? Do you agree with him? That's coming up later on this morning, but lots more besides. I want to go straight to Fiona Corcoran from the Cork's 96FM newsroom. It's a follow-up story to the outbreak of coronavirus at Grailscully Drishkol in Glenmire in the last week or two, which we spoke about at length on the programme when the story broke a week or two ago. Michal Martin addressed it yesterday during his press briefing in Cork. I've spoken to the principal um, in, in, in relation to that uh, and I have concerns about what happened there and I will be talking to um, public health officials in relation to that and I've also spoken to the Attorney General in relation to it and to the Minister for Health um, and um, the 
obviously there are challenges in terms of how public health deal with uh, different cases and, 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 and different, in different contexts and also with a view to trying to preserve the confidentiality for families but there are lessons to be learned from what happened in Glenmire uh, and um, on all fronts uh, and um, I'd certainly be having discussions in, 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 with the authorities in relation to what happened there. There was a very detailed petition set up on change.org by the parents of the school addressed to uh, Stephen Donnelly, Minister for Health, and Paul Reid, Chief Exec of the HSE. Quite a long and detailed one. Fiona, as I say, is in Glanmire this morning. Fiona, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. This was a big story when it broke because there was quite a number of cases and it was feared that the cases had been, for once, seeding in the school for a while because of a lack of information. What's the latest? Yes, that's right, PJ. There were 17 confirmed cases at the school and they were across a number of different classrooms and as a result, the school was forced to close for two weeks. Now, it is due to reopen tomorrow, but uh, the Echo was reporting this morning that three teachers still remain too sick to return to work. And obviously, there's a lot of concern among staff and parents because it's so close to Christmas and people want to be able to spend time with their families at Christmas and they're um, afraid of contracting the virus. But the school is assuring um, all parents and all staff that every measure is being taken in accordance with the HSE guidelines. Um, But as you say, it did raise a lot of questions because these cases were... the 17 cases were confirmed, but it emerged after the school closed that there had been a confirmed case in the school community. Now, we're not sure if that person had been on the school grounds, but they were um, within the school And um, the the school now, or, or the petition that you mentioned there, they're asking for greater transparency from the HSE and from the government, and they want changes to the way the schools are informed of confirmed cases and the information that's given to principals. Now, at the, out- at the start of this virus, the HSE was very determined to protect people's identity, and obviously everybody has a right to privacy. But there is a whole issue now about whether or not that's putting you know, people at risk, the greater public health at risk. Mm. And, um, you know, I don't think anybody wants to identify a confirmed case, um, but they do want changes made to the way this information is given to the schools and um, in turn then given to the parents of the pupils. And I suppose it's um, an issue not just for Quays Gullig Driscoll in Glanmire, but it's an issue for schools all around the country. And we know that when the schools returned in September, it was something that people were very concerned about. And I suppose the fact that it happened in Glanmire just shows that, you know, it's not a common occurrence. It hasn't happened anywhere else, but it can happen. So Mm. uh, Micheál Martin, in that clip there, you heard him say yesterday that he is very much aware of it. He has spoken to the principal of the school and he has also spoken to Health Minister Stephen Donnelly um, and to the Attorney General and now he's hoping to raise the issue with uh, public health officials over the coming days and see if they can make some changes to the way this information mm. is dealt with. GDPR seems to be a, a big problem here. Yeah. The issues they raise in their petition, the four or three or four specifics is that under present guidelines, if a pupil tests positive, the parents will be informed, but the school principal will only be informed if Mm. that parent give consent. That would worry anybody. And number two, where consent is given, 
the principal is not immediately informed, there could be a time lag of up to 24 hours. Again, you've got possibly more infections seeding in a school while that's going on. And then principals cannot share the information they have with the parents of a particular class. Like that's that's keeping people in the dark in the mm. midst of a pandemic. Yeah, and we've even heard of schools where there has been a confirmed case. Um, and, you know, they had set up these pods so that, um, you know, that it would that, that it would prevent a, a school, an entire school from having to close. But, you know, um, when it when somebody gets a confirmed case notification, they have no idea if it's in their pod or if it's in the class or where it is. And obviously, when you get a notification like that, it, it spreads concern yeah. uh, amongst the entire school because people are wondering, has my child been in contact with that child? And have they been in contact outside of the school if they had been to, you know, matches or whatever? So there is a whole issue of um, identification and, and information. And obviously, you know, as I said earlier, people, you know, they want to keep their, if they have been a confirmed case and they don't want everybody in the school to know that that's their right to privacy but obviously then as well you have to look at the whole greater issue about public health and, and trying to keep the entire school and you know the, and the, the the classroom safe from from COVID-19 yeah. so it's um it is a very big issue it's a very complex issue and it's one that the government are going to be looking at yeah. and you know Michal Martin is going to be discussing it with public health officials. Well, he he um, did say that yesterday the question that arises though is it's fine for him to say it but when mm. will something actually happen you know and I know Fiona the wheels of politics move slowly. Well that's it and I mean you know in two weeks time everybody's going to be breaking for school and then we're back in January and there's already concern about a rise in, in COVID-19 cases in January after Christmas um, so you know people are going to be coming back to school and they would hope that this issue would be resolved but as you say it's um, there's a lot of issues being discussed at the minute so whether or not that's going to happen within the next two weeks remains to be seen um, but he did speak yesterday as well um, about the vaccine rollout and about um, you know the, the government are meeting today to discuss how that's going to be rolled out in Ireland but he did warn people that you know we still have to be very much aware and conscious of our behaviour over the coming weeks particularly over Christmas and you know just because we know that there's a vaccine coming doesn't mean that it's a free for all you know so um, I think he was issuing that warning yesterday during that press conference as well that people need to be very conscious of what they're doing and of their behaviour over the coming weeks and we'll hear those comments later in the morning. Fiona, thank you very much. That's Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter. So the Taoiseach says he is aware of the situation and they have to learn from it. But if you look into that petition, and it's brilliantly written, it's uh, Paula Kennedy was the person who wrote up the petition document for uh, change.org, and it's really well presented. So, And this applies presently in any school where there's a confirmed case. So if a pupil test positive in a school, the parents obviously will be informed, but the school principal will only be informed if that parent gives their consent. So if little Johnny gets COVID-19, the parents must consent to share that with the principal of the school. A principal who could be responsible for a couple of hundred other children. The parents must give their consent. If they don't, well, nothing happens. If they do, okay, you'd think then if they do, well, the principal then knows that little Johnny is in such and such a class, in such and such a pod, and he can do something about it. Well, first of all, he won't be told, or she won't be told, for probably 16 to 24 hours. And then, 
They can't just go down to the classroom. Principal, you think, armed with the information and armed with the consent, you think they just go down and say, Mrs. Mrs. Sullivan, can you come out a second? Can't do that. Can't do that. So the really the principals in the schools are working with their hands tied behind their back and they're blindfolded here. All down to whether a parent chooses to share with the school principal that their child has tested positive for COVID-19. And they want all that changed on Michal Martin. Let's listen back again. Michal Martin said yesterday all these concerns have been brought to his attention. I've spoken to the principal um, in, in, in relation to that uh, and I have concerns about what happened there and I will be talking to um, public health officials in relation to that and I've also spoken to the Attorney General in relation to it and to the Minister for Health um, and um, the Obviously, there are challenges in terms of how public health deal with uh, different cases and, 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 and different, in different contexts and also with a view to trying to preserve the confidentiality for families. But there are lessons to be learned from what happened in Glenmire uh, and um, on all fronts. Uh, and um, I'd certainly be having discussions in, 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 with the authorities in relation to what happened there. Discussions is great. But if we had another case in another school right now, the same crazy situation would apply. Parents are in total control. If they don't give their consent, then technically the school will never know. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Yeah, chance for you to win this week with Corab Oil. We have three 500 euro Corab Oil gift cards to give away at the end of the week. It's a perfect practical gift for anyone this Christmas and we'll tell you how you win it in a few minutes' time. It's to do with Christmas movies. That's coming up. 1850-715-996. I mentioned their names at the top of the programme. Margaret Keenan, aged 90, a grandmother living in Coventry, First person in the world outside of a test, outside of a, an actual um, research group or a, uh, outside of, of a trial group. She got the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID vaccine at quarter to seven this morning in a hospital in Coventry. And then the next name I gave you at the top of the programme was Joanna Sloan. She's 28, a nurse at Belfast Royal Victoria Hospital. And she's the first person on the island of Ireland to get the COVID-19 vaccine. I'm also seeing that a man called William Shakespeare has had his vaccine this morning in the UK. The Taoiseach was asked yesterday during that press briefing when we might start to get our jabs in this part of the world. The European Medicine Authority uh, will, will determine this. They've penciled in a date, 29th of December, for um, decision in relation to the authorization. Uh, of this particular vaccine, with the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine. Uh, we're getting our logistics ready. I hope to receive um, preliminary reports this week from the task force in relation to the rollout of the vaccine in Ireland. I think what's important is uh, that we get the organisation of this right, who will who, be getting it first and in what order. But at the same time, it's very, very important that we keep the focus on our individual behaviour uh, and keep the numbers down. 
So ideally, we will start to get rolled out here in January. There's a lot of information in the paper as to who will be forced and in what order they will be forced. But let's uh, catch up with a man we haven't spoken to in a few weeks, Professor Jerry Colleen. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. It's obviously great news, Jerry, that this is on its way and that when the decision is made in Europe, we can start administering it early in the new year. It's all got to be positive, hasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, yeah, particularly if, you, if you're in a very vulnerable group. I mean, this, um, you know, it's, this vaccine, it's not going to change life for most of us very fast. But if you're in one of those vulnerable groups, um, you know, it's going to do a lot for you, both physically, but also for your mental health. You know, I, I can imagine just be a weight off your shoulders. And, you know, I have friends, we all have friends who would be at the front of the queue and uh, good luck to them. And um, I think we should all be delighted for them. Would you take it yourself, Jerry? Um, if, if assuming it ticks all the boxes with the EMA, then absolutely yes. Yeah, so that's the, that's the question I think a lot of people are asking. You know, this has been developed, we've been through it, it's been developed so fast, they've got three or four of them ready in the space of a couple of weeks. Would people, would you actually take it? And you say if the European Medicines Agency says it's okay, then it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, let, let them do their job. You know, it's, it's, um, if they're not ready to approve it, they'll say it. They're used to this kind of thing. You know, everything they do, it's always like this. It's, you know, for the people that receive these medicines, it is a matter of life and death. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been through these discussions before. Yeah. You know, people say, well, anti-malarial drugs not do me damage. I said they'll do a lot less damage than malaria will, so just take them and enjoy your holiday. You know, yeah. the same for these vaccines. Of course, there are risks, and there will be very small numbers of people who will have, might have severe adverse events, but, you know, it, it's a much... It's 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 really it's a it's a much better option than yeah. not taking it. And from your reading on it, Jerry, you know, from your reading of the science that's out there, how excited should we be about this? Like, is it safe to say that by this time next year we could be rid of this thing? Um, it's not guaranteed, but certainly that's um, that's yeah. I, I the the vaccine is fit for purpose. Um, of course, it, it appears to be a human all. It, passes, you know, it goes through all the stages. Uh, there's no reason to believe that we couldn't be back to something, you know, to our normal normal uh, by the end of this year. But but that's the kind of time it yeah. will take. Maybe that pint that you and I said we might have way back in oh. March or April. We might, get, oh, we might eventually get to have it <laughs> at a bar counter. Yeah, it'd be great. Yes, yes. Jerry, on, on what Tony Holohan has been saying in the last 24 hours, the, the ECDC, the Centre for Disease Control, they, they've revised their position on air travel and, and they now consider it to be relatively low risk. Tony Holohan doesn't agree and he's still asking people not to fly home for Christmas. Who's right here? Uh, Tony Holohan and his team are absolutely correct. Even though the um, European Centre for Disease Control says it's low risk? Well, the, the ECDC is a relatively new institution, and like WHO and lots of other policy-making bodies that I kind of make a living by taking issue with, they make mistakes. Uh, this is one of them. Uh, we know even one of the, the big international case studies that's discussed a lot around the world is a plane flying into Ireland where 12 people got infected on the plane. There's a whole bunch of other um, case studies and, uh, you know, including one um, uh, Korean evacuation flight where everybody on board wore um, 
N95 respirators and one lady picked it up in the toilet from somebody who was seated, I think, about five rows in front of her. So, you know, but you know that kind of insight is very difficult to get. And our contact tracing system here in Ireland, frankly, is 10 months out of date. It's like it's designed not to find out where people actually pick up their infections. And mm. still, we have documented cases of airborne transmission in this country in places like restaurants. Um, you know, and so when we see those those examples, those are just the tip of the iceberg. And, and travel is a problem. Mm. We're also being told in the last couple of briefings, and Philip Nolan was looking at the models, and even though all these technical mistakes, which are upsetting the modelling, we know that, looking as if the inevitability is that even the limitations that placed upon us for Christmas and New Year, we could well be into another Level 5 situation at the end of January. Do you see that as a genuine risk, Jerry? Uh, absolutely. Um, I, I've, I think I've agreed. You know, I've been watching um, the Nefis press briefings and statements over the last couple of days, and I really agree with everything that's been said, I think. You know, and when I look at the polls, you know, most people, it matches my impression, most people in this country have tons of common sense. They're not going to be rushing down to the pub. They're not going to be rushing out to the restaurants. They're going to kind of save up their, their extra contacts for very close family and friends at Christmas. And mm. But the problem is, if 75 or 80% do all the right thing, the other 20% yeah. are enough to plow us into a second wave. And we can't stop that. That's government's job. You know, things that need... Uh, population-wide participation, um, you know, that's that goes beyond individual responsibility and that's why we have a government. Yeah. yeah. Like the people that we have all sort of kept in contact with over the last seven to eight months, those of us who've been really careful, it's a handful. Our families and maybe one or two very close friends or workmates. Like, is it safe, Jerry, to have a little quiet get-together over the Christmas and the New Year period with those people that you and know they've all been as careful as you have? Um, there's certainly so many ways you can reduce the risk. You know, nobody can guarantee you no risk unless you you literally, every, you know, everybody involved self-isolates for 14 days in advance. Um, and even then, you know, they wouldn't be 100% guaranteed. But there's so much that you can do to reduce that risk. You know, I think a lot of people will have um, Saturday on their calendar, which would probably be the last day to see anybody before before Christmas Day. So that, you know, when you do meet up with your mum, your dad, uh, your uncle, your aunt, whoever it might be on Christmas Day, that, that you know you've been kind of two weeks out of contact and out of, you know, any transmission chains you might be in. So there's lots of things you can do. Masks are a great idea. Ventilation is a great idea if you can manage it, but I mean, you know, I do have a sense of humour about. Um, I think we all have to have a sense of humour about what Irish winters are like. Yes. Um, so um, you know, so all those things. You know that the way you know one person serving rather than lots of people dipping into um, into the pot. You know, um, you know, you know, just separate, putting the chairs two meters apart, all that kind of stuff. It all makes a huge difference. It's all worth doing, and you know, none of them are perfect, and I, and I, I think. You know, I think we can all learn a lot from, you know, some of the crazy um, 
the crazy kind of very stark narratives that we hear that, you know, people would say level five was a waste of time. But, you know, it wasn't perfect and we're still in a difficult situation. But I don't think any of us want to be in Italy this Christmas um, where they'll be totally locked down. And, you know, they lost um, they lost 993 souls on Thursday. You know, wow. that's... So that's, you know... We're forgetting uh, that, aren't we, Jerry? Yeah, we're, and, and I'm really frustrated that that our media are not covering um, what's what's happening in Europe. You know, thousands of people died in Europe yesterday. Um, you know, in, in America, they're almost over the 3,000 deaths a day, Mark, and their trajectory... There was is, one came up, wasn't it, Thursday or Friday, there were more people died on either Thursday or Friday than died in, than died in 9-11. That's very so, stark. And we yeah, we so, have to look at it, Jerry. I suppose, pound for pound, you know, we are doing well right now and we should not let that go. Is that the message? Absolutely. And then if you look at all the things we haven't done that we could do, I, mean, I was just listening to, you, to, your, to your show before this, like, you know, the, the teachers are dead right. You know, if everybody in a school that had a COVID case knew immediately, there's a whole bunch of cases could be prevented. And not just those cases, but then the cases that they lead to. And our public health doctors would have a chance. But, you know, they would do this differently if they were in charge. And that's why I think we just need to support them in their uh, their struggles with our government. You know, to just be given the authority they need to do the jobs that they know how to do. OK. All right. Leave it there, Jerry. for now. Thanks very much. That's Professor Jerry Killeen uh, at UCC. 1850-715-996. There's America is bad enough. Belgium is probably one of, the, one of the worst. Italy, Germany seems to be losing control. All of these are EU countries and our policy is very much shaped by the EU. So we need to sort of stay buckled down here keep it under control in our country. Thanks, Jerry. 1850-715-996. I've lots of comments in, including one beauty. Oh, I am going to read that. I have a double, double barreled answer for that. I am going to read it, though. 1850-715-996. Coming up, though, is your child a fussy eater? We all know a child who only ate chicken nuggets. It's Friday. I'll only have chicken nuggets. But sometimes it goes mad altogether. There are children who will only eat certain things and they'll only eat them and they'll tear the house down if you try to make them eat something else. Apparently it's a real phenomenal. Ne- phenom- phenomenal. There. Go on. Next. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM With Lehan Motors leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie the Takeover on Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play with Cork Dental Care. Take the first step to smiling with confidence. See CorkDentalCare.com. You pick what we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. 
So this new study shows that one in three young Irish children can be officially classified or formally classified as a fussy eater. 34% of children between 5 and 12 are fussy eaters. They reject a large proportion of both familiar and novel foods. The research was carried out by Dr. Stephanie Rahel, who's a registered nutritionist, and describes a condition called food neophobia, which I get on to in just, in just a sec. But, but, but Stephanie, good morning to you. Good morning. How um, are you? Very good, thank you. Where does fussy eating come from? Is it something that's in the child or is it just a habit they develop? Um, to be honest, CJ, I think it's a mixture of both. So, as you mentioned there, food neophobia. So, it's um, seen as kind of an evolutionary mechanism that was kind of in children many, many years ago and that would have kind of prevented them from eating poisonous foods. And unfortunately, that um, mechanism has kind of tracked on now, even into the, the current 2020 um, and... I suppose it, it prevents children from kind of having that openness to try new foods mm. um, and it tends to kind of become more popular when the child is between two and six years of age um, and then after that then the levels seem to, to decrease and the child would be regarded more than as a fussy eater and that was the more the focus of my piece of research then. Yeah. Um, but I suppose food fussiness would incorporate both neophobia and then just rejection of food that the child is is all, um, already familiar to as well. Then, yeah. like if you take the and we've all known one, the child of four or five who will only eat chicken nuggets, but will throw the beans back at you and will demand the chicken nuggets for breakfast, dinner and tea. Yeah. Like, what's the right thing to do there? Do you do you give it to them on the basis that, well, look, this is food anyway, or do you try to change it? Um, I suppose it, it's very difficult, and it, that's the thing with fussy eating. It's very subjective. You know, not like every child is an individual, and... Um, it wasn't part of my research, but they're very, very selective eating. As you were mentioning there, the likes of just eating nuggets. It's the only food that child like that child may have a condition called afrid, um, and it's seen as a like an extremely, extremely fussy eating. You know, the fussy eating that I was kind of looking at was kind of at the lower end of the scale. Yeah, in general, um, in general, like they're not just being awkward. It's what your research has found. Yeah, like I suppose it's a combination of. Exposure to when the child is like being weaned on solid food, um, and then also kind of the parents play a, a massive role. And I suppose, like in general, we all have norms about different behaviours. You know, um, oh well, you have to eat X, Y, and Z. But just because the child isn't eating X doesn't mean that they're a fussy eater. If if that makes sense, you yeah. know, it's it's about kind of changing the parents' behaviour around mealtime. So, you know, I what I found from my research is that it's about building, like, a positive relationship with food when the child is young. You know, I know it's, it's obvious that, that parents would be very concerned about a child who only eats nuggets for uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner, but 
Um, obviously, in that case, there may be it may warrant something um, different. Yeah, yeah but the, the, the old method was Stephanie, and I guess you know we all had it. If you don't eat them carrots, you'll get them <laughs> yeah. again tomorrow. That's yeah. not right, is it? Not, not from the my research and research that's been done internationally. It's found that by saying, for instance, uh, or even saying, you know, um, if you eat your broccoli there, uh, well, you'll get a chocolate bar or a dessert or whatever. Like, what that is actually doing is it's reinforcing the child's kind of. Um, Hate, not hatred, but you know, dislike for the food that you're trying to get them to eat, yeah. um, and it's creating then a, a kind of more positive association with the treat food. Mm-hmm. Um, so the food that you're trying to get them to eat, they're still associating that with like negative emotions mm-hmm. and you know being forced to do something that they're not that they don't want to do. So yeah. um, that's why. It, like from a research point of view and my advice would be to, to try and avoid that if possible. Yeah. How do we establish good eating habits in, in small children? Is it about as simple as, Stephanie, as soon as they go on solids and are old enough to chew that we introduce them to many things? Yes, that that would be ideal, CJ. But um, I know a lot of parents that, that may be listening now have older children, but... If we are to start off in kind of weaning stage, you know, the research has showed that the more um, foods that are introduced to a child during this period um, will actually increase their kind of acceptance of these foods later on in life. So as I was saying earlier on, the neophobia phase, which occurs between two and six years old, like if the child has been exposed to a wide variety of vegetables, fruit, whole grains, you know, when they they get to that neophobia stage, they kind of have some of the building blocks already in place. And while they may not accept the food during this neophobia stage, when they eventually come out of that, it's easier for them to start kind of being more accepting towards these foods as they get older. Um, And I suppose... The other thing that I was, I found as well is that structure around mealtime is, is an essential um, yeah. thing to promote eating off kind of more nutrient-dense food. So um, having meals at a certain time every day, um, you know, trying to avoid screens during mealtimes as well is, is yeah. very important so that the child is focusing on the food. And yeah. and, and the old one that, you know, your granddad used to look over and say, if he's hungry, he'll eat it. Yeah. Doesn't work, does it, no? Um, I suppose it, there's kind of, you need to find a balance. Um, what I would suggest is giving the child some kind of autonomy or some sort of decision-making skill around, not not every meal, but, you know, um, okay, um, on a Wednesday, you're allowed to choose um, what meat we have for dinner or what vegetable we have for dinner Um, and then on the other days do you know this is what's for dinner and I suppose if you get into a routine that the child knows okay well if I don't eat my my dinner now um, at 6 o'clock in the evening um, this is the last time I'm going to eat for until tomorrow morning Mm -hmm. and I know that's difficult for parents and I suppose if it's having a negative impact on the child's life, like if they're not sleeping or, do you know, that sort of way, then obviously 
perhaps something else will have to be done, like maybe um, having a, a cereal or something in the evening. But I suppose the the advice that I would give that, if possible, just try and get the child to eat what's on their plate yeah. at the certain time and, I suppose, reinforce structure around that. Yeah, and try to try to start them on as varied a diet and thinking that they'll eat, give it to them because it's a varied diet and they'll learn yeah, as children like, to eat. My own two, I, and they're young adults now, in fairness to both of them, they would eat anything. I mean anything, because <laughs> that's what we did when they were small. We introduced yeah. them to everything. Where once they were old enough, obviously, what we were eating, they got a sample of. Yeah, and that's another important thing, PJ, as well, is, and I find as well, is that parents' role modelling um, during meal times, you know, if and that's why it's so important to have structure around meal times and to have family meal times. I know it's it's difficult with work and stuff, but even to have it on a if you could have breakfast in the morning together or have dinner, you know, whichever yeah. works best for the family. But that the child sees the parents yes. eating certain foods, and then you know, <laughs> even I suppose in, in any aspect of life, if they see someone doing something, they want to oh, do it as monkey, well. So, monkey see, monkey do. Do you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah we exactly. need to get back to the basics. Listen, Stephanie, I'll leave it there for today because I know you got another appointment to go to. But thank you very much. That's Dr. Stephanie Rahel from UCD, uh, uh, registered nutritionist. If your child is fussy. It's more than just fussy sometimes. And the one thing you can do is once they start to eat solid food, you know, even that mush that comes out of a can or the stuff that you make, why not? We, I remember when we were small, right? One thing, well, not that small, because I don't remember being that small, but I remember being younger. And what would happen is that when mom and dad are having dinner, right, that the, a, a small, tiny portion of that goes into the blender for a baby. Are we still doing that? Do we still do that? Do we still take whatever mum and dad are having for, for dinner, whatever it might be, I don't know, chop and peas and a spud? Is that what you would put it into the blender and zhuzh it up for the baby? What happened to doing that? Introduce them to everything we eat. 185715996. I told my nephew about all the people starving in Africa <laughs> and that he should value his food. And he said, That's terrible. Why don't you post it to them? Ah, bang, bang. Dumb tish. Tom says, when we were growing up, we ate what was put in front of us. Anything. We don't need all this old science explanation about it. Put it in front of the kids and they will eat it. Oh, Tom. Oh, Tom, it's while since you were around children, it's it. Put it in front of them now, they'll paint the wall with it, some of them. 1850 715 Where were we? On the on the Grail Skull. Yes. On the Grail Skull. And the petition from the parents in the Grail Skull and the problems they identified in the petition which are well worth reading again because you mightn't have known about them. If a child is diagnosed, tests positive for COVID, the parents obviously are told but the school won't be told, the principal won't be told unless the parents give consent. That's point number one. If the parents do give consent then the principal might not be told straight away. It might take 18 hours, 24 hours, might take longer than that. Then, even though they know that there's a positive case in the school, the principal is then not allowed to share that information with the parents of a particular class. So if little Johnny in Rongakuig has the virus, he'll disappear, obviously, hopefully, hopefully be taken out of it, out of his pod. But no one will be told about it. No one's supposed to be told about it. 
It's crazy. 1850-715-996. But we did get this message through WhatsApp. Morning, guys. Just listening to Fiona and PJ talking about the situation with the school in Glamire. Um, there, and they just said that the school isn't... Um, the parents aren't obliged to inform the school and then the school isn't obliged to form, inform parents. I think that's down to the individual school's discretion because uh, my daughter is in a, in a school in the city and earlier on in the year they had um, two confirmed cases. There was one staff and one pupil um, and we were all notified. Um, and now I don't know the ins and outs of what happened but I'm assuming the whatever class was kind of directly affected then they all had to go get testing i'm assuming that's what happened i don't know but like we were definitely notified so i think it's it's like it's i you would hope that the schools if they are told that someone has tested positive that they would have a duty to tell the parents it's just common sense really isn't it it is common sense but presumably in the situation that that particular uh, caller is talking about presumably the parents at the heart of it gave their consent for the information to be shared with the school. If they didn't, none of that would be able to happen. And that's, I think, the big problem that's being raised down in Grail School, Idris Gjol. 185715996. On the vaccine, John says he won't be taking it as it's been fast tracked and he doesn't trust it. Lots of his friends feel the same. Never in the history of vaccines has there been something like this so quickly. Maybe in time, when he's seen more, he might change his position. I think, John, I appreciate where you're coming from. The, the science has been really, really well explained. But I think what Jerry Killeen said this morning, if the European Medicines Agency says this is okay, then it's okay. It's okay. And yes, there may well be. It's possible that there will be a very tiny, tiny number of people who react badly. That is the situation with any vaccine. It is. But the the fast-tracking, all they fast-tracked is the paperwork and all they fast-tracked is the red tape. And the science, particularly the Pfizer one, the science is, is there with quite a number of years, as we had explained to us a couple of weeks ago on the programme. But your concerns are widespread and fully understandable, John. I personally, if a nurse walked in the door of Studio One with a needle... I would take it right now. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996, the number to call. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. If you want to leave us a WhatsApp voice message at any stage, please feel free to do so. That invitation is always there and always open to you. If you want to take it up, just pop us a quick WhatsApp voice message. If you haven't got time to do a phone call or take a phone call, just leave us a, a message, all right? If you want to do that. And, of course, the Twitter is at OpinionLine96. And the Facebook is, the course, 96 FM Facebook page. Uh, send us a message. Address it for uh, the 96 FM Opinion Line. Going back to the school and Grail School Idrish School and the things that they raise in their petition which are very, very interesting, that if a child tests positive in a school, as of today, because it hasn't been changed yet, if a child tests positive, obviously their parents are told, but without parents' consent, the school cannot be told. And even if the school is told, the principal has really very little power 
to spread that information around. Very, very limited in what they can do, which is causing problems for schools and certainly, they believe, caused problems for Gwelskull Idrish Gjol. Marie says, I think this highlights the need to update all our laws in lines with public health, security and other considerations. A lot of civil rights legislation was rushed in to prevent hard outcomes, but without thinking of other hardships would be caused. We really need to look at how this far-reaching legislation has changed things. This is how GDPR and all that kind of stuff has made it almost impossible to do simple things. And, you know, in many cases, GDPR is limiting, and I could go into it and spend a half an hour talking about it, it's limiting really important people from doing really important work in ways you'd never have thought about. Anne says all this nonsense about rights doesn't make sense. Sure, all they had to say is there's a COVID case in the school. If there was a rights problem, it would prevent children with COVID going off and bringing it into the household. I think a lot of smaller schools have closed down also because of staffing issues and training. The highest numbers have always been when the schools are open, but the government don't want to see that pattern. Yeah, internationally, those schools are relatively, I say relatively, low down the pecking order as regards uh, petri dishes of infection. They're dangerous, but they're not as lethally dangerous as, as other, as other uh, scenarios. Jim says on the pubs, and we'll get to that in a minute, Michal Martin was asked if he thought it was the right thing to do to keep the wet pubs closed. If wet pubs were opened, there's no doubt that we'd be facing very dramatically escalating numbers by the end of this month. Jim says, I'm aware of a pub close to the city, has a kitchen, but the kitchen was closed all weekend. The bar was packed and has operated just as a wet pub. Why do the Gardaí not do something about that? I've no doubt they were aware. Jim, I also heard of a well-known pub, a very well-known pub, that had a lock-in at the weekend. And my information is very reliable, so there's no doubt it's going on. We might put that to Michael Donovan a little bit later on. But here comes the one I was holding over to read. All right. PJ, you are the king of COVID-19 fear-mongering. Am I now? I call it science. Anyway, uh, yet you were willing to go to Spain last summer and you were out drinking at the weekend. Do as I say, not as I do. Let me let me address those two ridiculous statements. First of all, I was not out drinking at the weekend. I joined a friend of mine in a restaurant pub last Friday night. We had dinner, we had a couple of pints, and we were home at half ten. We met nobody else. I socialized with nobody else. I met my friend, we had dinner, a couple of pints, and went home. As regards the holiday in Spain last summer, absolutely, I would have gone if it were safe to go. If it were possible to go, I would have gone. And I stand over saying that, but it came to a crunch point where I just thought, you know, the right thing to do is not to go. But did I want to go? Absolutely. Did I wake up the morning I should have been going and thought, I wish I was going? Yes! But I stayed at home because it was the right thing to do. So don't be giving your old BS now about fear-mongering. If you don't like science and you don't like the truth, you know, that's, that's your problem. That's your problem. 1850 Will you shut up about the schools again? Most parents will report if their child is infected. Maybe the odd one won't, but it's not. it won't be a whole cluster 
and it's the same risk as everyone. Even the odd one, you get it, caller, even the odd one deciding to keep it to themselves could cause havoc. You shouldn't have a right to keep it to yourself. It's a publicly notifiable disease. There should, and hey, hey, come out and shoot me if you want to, right? There should be no parent have the right to withhold consent that their child's school be informed. No parent. Because it's reckless to do it. 1850-715-996. All right, let's have an aged to this little message. Hi, my name's Anya, and I like doing gymnastics at Cork Acro because there's very lovely people, and you get to learn lots of new things, and you get fit and healthy. Hi, my name is Sweeper, and I'm Miss Gymnastics. Hi, everyone. My club needs your support. I love Cork Acro because it's like my second home, and any time I'm sad, I go to gym, and it, it makes me really happy. I love Cork Acro. Cork Acro Gymnastics Club, Claire Sheehan, good morning. Good morning, TJ. The troubles are real. They are. In fairness, COVID-19 has had a big impact on our club. Mm. Are you still closed under level three? We're able to open at the moment for individual training. Right. So the, the children are, have been welcomed back this week and have been, you know, very excited to be back. Uh, some of our gymnasts aren't able to return yet. We run a gym able program, which is for children with disabilities, yes, yes. Uh, both physical disabilities and intellectual disabilities. So we can't welcome those gymnasts back just yet because of physical distancing issues. Yes, yes. So keeping the doors open and the lights on is now a real problem. It is absolutely. The the club has only been able to. You know, actually be open for about 20 weeks of 2020. And that basically means we aren't able to do our usual classes, so therefore subscriptions are down. We we normally would do fundraising activities during the year, like raffles and displays and little competitions in-house. Yeah. Again, all that is gone. So in order to keep the, the roof over our heads and the utilities up to date and insurance, which is a an expensive um, overhead as well. In order to keep those things going, we had to look and say, you know, what are we going to do? And mm-hmm. um, going into 2021, we want to have the, the club up and running. And, you know, we have fantastic children who come in every week. We have a lot of uh, teenagers who we want to keep in the sport. We have a lot of competitive children who want to keep up their training. Yeah. So, you know, there's, a big demand on us to keep the, to keep the place open and to keep it up and running for everybody. So we launched our GoFundMe page. Um, we made it public yesterday, and in fairness, the, the response from our members has been very good. Yeah. But yeah. it's it's awful having to go hand out, looking for you know looking to keep the place open. But it is just part of the impact of COVID nineteen on the club. Yes. Yes. Is there no assistance available to the club from the, the, the various programmes put in place by the government? No, we we had assistance from the local enterprise office there for a, one of the business continuity vouchers, which was more about a voucher for training, which was very good. And we actually used that for uh, our COVID compliance training for all the volunteers that come in yeah. and for fire training. But it's in the form of a voucher rather than actual physical uh, physical money. So 
yeah. uh, our national governing body, um, Gymnastics Ireland, they're mm-hmm. involved in doing, you know, trying to raise uh, funding. Ha- have they been given additional funding by the government to get you through this? Gymnastics Ireland has as, as a body and uh, it was open to clubs to apply for. Unfortunately, we didn't um, have the entry in to in time for receiving any funding from that. Right. But um, so we're, we're left with keeping going as we are and yeah. working so, hard to keep the club open. So you've got a GoFundMe up and running? We have a GoFundMe page up and running, yes. And we asked some of our members to send in a little memory or a little um, photograph of something they love about the club. So you know, we were actually really overwhelmed by the lovely messages that we received uh, from the children. And you know, it would actually bring a tear to your eye. I know. You mentioned the, the, the kids with different abilities Mm-hmm. physical and intellectual and they must miss desperately what they're oh, there to do but, but the, the, the lovely small kids there on that little piece of audio like how do you sit down and explain to a four or five year old that they just can't go to their gym you know something the small children have been incredible I think they've taken it on more so than you know the older gymnasts we had children who came back in yesterday and they came back in the door as if they'd never been out and just came in and said, you know, oh, we missed you so much. And then they went off and stood on their physically distant marker and mm. just that stuck into doing their, their gymnastics. Um, some of the older teenagers are the ones that really feel more isolated, I think, than anybody else. Yeah. They're the age group that feel, you know, there's going to be no competition. There's going to be no big events. Yeah. So... And of course, that's such an important part of their social oh, life. Completely. It's when you, when you put your mind and body into a sport like gymnastics, when you get good at it in your teens and, and you put your mind and body into it, it is your social life as well as your sport. Oh, absolutely. And many of the teenagers train three and four times a week. Yeah. And they're looking at saying, why? What's, what's there for me? And by the time competition will come around, will I be good enough? I haven't been able yeah. to keep up my training and from a mental health point of view that's very worrying Yeah, How do you deal with it though? I mean you know you can well we can now re- reassure them you know that look the scientists know what they're doing we will have the vaccine and hopefully hopefully this time next year everything will be close to back and to normal again Yeah that's it we just keep saying to them, this, this too will pass This too will pass yeah. yeah Yeah but I guess when you're 19 and look I remember being being 19 myself and 18 you know, next month was an eternity, let alone next year. Yeah. And I yeah. think they have so many other worries with school and with everything else. It's lovely to be able to come into gymnastics. And let the steam off. Let it steam off, yeah. sweat it out, work. But they always like to have a goal in mind that this is what I'm working for. Claire, you're not the first person to make the point about the smallies over the last few months that in fairness to the little devils, they, they pick up very quickly that this is the right thing to do. Absolutely. They, it, they mightn't like it, but, yeah, but it's it's amazing how little six and seven and eight-year-olds, they're turning around now telling us Absolutely. We found even We've found some of the younger children when they step outside where their parents are waiting to pick them up and the parents wait on distance markers as well. You know, they all have to spread out. 
And sometimes you'll find people might start to migrate a little bit towards each other and it's the children will go, oh, step back. <laughs> I, saw, I saw something actually. I saw something in a, I was in a centre shop the other day picking up a few bits as you do and I was standing on my sticker waiting to, to pay it, you know. And there was a, there was a woman behind me and, and a little, little one with her, but maybe six or seven. And the basket was there and her, Mammy, 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 the sticker is there, the sticker is there, stand on the sticker. <laughs> and no, uh, Mammy wasn't six yeah. inches off the sticker. Yeah. Do you know, she was standing slightly to the left or slightly to the right of the sticker. Mammy, Mammy, stay on the sticker. Yeah. <laughs> we have that, we have stickers on the floor, different multicolored Velcro stickers mm. that the children stand on for their individual uh, training. Yeah. And they are so, so good. And they watch each other as well. Just to make sure. And, you know, it's 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 a horrible year in their young lives, but you know what? They'll 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 hopefully they'll hopefully be back and as resilient and as tough as ever in in twenty twenty one. And the same with the older ones as well. And hopefully that GoFundMe. Where can we get the details of it, Claire? So it's on. If you just go to GoFundMe forward slash Cork Acro, and it's under COVID Recovery Fund. So it's, if you just search Cork Acro on the GoFundMe page, it will come up. OK. All right, Claire. Look after yourselves and I hope everything will be OK for the club. That's Claire Sheehan from Cork Acro Gymnastics Club, 1850-715-996. Ah, he's back. He's back. He's back. PJ is going all out against Neffet advice. Oh, really? Neffet does not want the pubs open. Yeah. He travelled to Northern Ireland when they were advising essential travel only. That didn't apply to Northern Ireland at the time I travelled. You were free to travel anywhere in the country, including Northern Ireland, when I travelled to Northern Ireland. So you can take that now and stick it in your pipe. Yes, it's legal. Yes, it's within government guidelines, but it's not what Neffet want. I still think he's a hypocrite. Well, much as I agree with what Neffet has advised, and I've been a supporter of Neffet since day one, at the end of the day, the laws are made by the government. And should they follow the advice of Neffet more possibly? But when they put a law in place, was I allowed to go to the pub with my friend last Friday night, have a bite of dinner and a couple of pints in the chat? Yes, I was. So I did. Would I have gone to a, an illegal lock-in in a wet pub the other night? No, absolutely not. I wouldn't have been seen dead in it. I'd probably have reported it, actually. Be quite frank. 1850 There are some scams going around. I got eight calls this morning from a Sri Lankan number, plus one, plus nine four that a friend in the Garda Fraud Squad told me charges €30 euro a minute if you call back. Eight calls. They must have a big Christmas shopping list. Just if you don't know anybody in Sri Lanka or wherever, don't answer the phone. Who do we have on here a few weeks ago? Liam Brady, the private investigator, explained how all these things are done. They're computer generated. There's also a group of girls going around town. We're getting this in. A group of girls going around town trying to rob shopping off of people. Actually, I'll do a break for that. I don't know if anyone's seen this. A group of girls going around town trying to rob shopping. If anyone's come across this, we'd like to hear from you. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See motors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96FM.
If your thoughts on the wet pubs, we're going to discuss it in, in just a sec. But this message came in to us. Cork City, be warned, it says. There's a group of girls going around town trying to rob shopping off of people. I was in town Sunday doing some Christmas shopping, bumped into these girls in a few places. When I was getting a takeaway coffee, I put the bags down, ordering it. And when I looked around, one girl was picking up my bags saying, Oh, my friend left her bags here. These are my friend's bags. I said, excuse me now, but they're my bags, and picked them up. The staff were looking on in amazement, but she brazened it out. After a while, she backtracked when I said, the cameras are on you, you know, and they'll show what happened. I can ask the boss to look back at the tape. She then started to apologize and walked away. I then met them in several other places, even on my way home. Either they were following me, or it's just a coincidence. Either way, be mindful, especially at this time of year. Pickpockets are another problem that I'm hearing about around town. Has anyone come across that young gang that pick up... Oh, my friend left her bags there, and they're your bags, and in a split second you let them off with them. Careful of that. Another one, uh, the wife brought this to my attention over the weekend, and I've seen a few different postings about it on social media. There is... A scam going around involving someone who appears to have just fallen off a bicycle and appears to be quite distressed about it, a bicycle or a motorbike or something. It's a person who appears to have fallen off a bike and requires assistance. Uh, Only they, they haven't just fallen off a bike and they don't require assistance. And as soon as you start to help to pick them up, your wallet and your phone or whatever is fished very quickly out of the pockets of your jacket. So be wary of that one. 1850-715-996. Yesterday, when he was on his visit to Carrigaline and a few other places around Cork, the Taoiseach Michal Martin was asked about the wet pubs and about the decision that the government took uh, going partly against the advice of Neffet because Neffet, I think, wanted everything closed until much closer to Christmas, if opened at all. And the government eventually decided to open the gastro pubs and the restaurants and keep the wet pubs closed. Uh, and that matter was put to Michal Martin at his briefing yesterday. The, the correct balance was was arrived at. Um, and if we if, if wet pubs were, were, were opened in their entire... You know, there's no doubt that we'd be facing very dramatically escalating numbers by the end of this month. Um, and, and that unfortunately is the reality uh, and it's very that is no, uh, that's not casting any aspersions on pub owners, it's not their fault it's just the nature uh, of what has happened in pubs in, in, in the autumn period which we've tracked and we, we know about it's very very difficult for publicans and that is why we've brought in uh, additional supports uh, through the uh, COVID restriction support schemes in terms of the double week for three weeks of, uh, uh, for uh, pub owners in particular who, who remain closed as a result of the restrictions that we have brought in. Our fundamental objective is to protect life and to protect public health. Already, you, you know, we, we can see numbers are still in around the 300 uh, mark. Uh, so the situation from, from a COVID point of view is one that we have to keep under constant review and the idea that, you know, you could open up everything simply was sim- is simply not tenable. Uh, but I think we've got the balance right, because one can't keep a population, you know, um, under severe restrictions for too long either. I mean, people did work hard for six weeks. We got the numbers well and truly down. Um, and I think we've given opportunities for certain sectors of the economy to, to recover. 
uh, but also to give people a break uh, and some respite as we lead into Christmas. I mean, as I said in my speech on the housing front, uh, the first lockdown, construction was closed. The second phase five restrictions we entered into, construction was open. Uh, schools remained open, unlike the first um, lockdown. Um, and the non-COVID hospital care services have remained open uh, right throughout the, the uh, phase five level uh, restrictions. So when we move out of Christmas, we'll assess the situation then. We'll also assess it sector by sector, make informed decisions based on data uh, and, 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 and see what type of restrictions would be optimal to keep the pressure on the virus to stop it spreading, uh, whilst keeping as much of the economy going and keep it, keeping as many people as we possibly can at work. Because when we reopen, it's about giving people hope making sure they can go back to their jobs uh, and giving them some income and some quality of life. That's important as well in terms of the mental well-being of people. Michael O'Donovan's chair of the VFI in Cork. Michael, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. He's pretty much saying there that we had to keep you closed, the wet pubs, because otherwise the numbers would have gone crazy if we opened you. Yeah, it's disappointing to hear that again from the Taoiseach, uh, PJ, because, look, we can only go off the data that was published and... It referred to the data shows that it would have been, um, you know, irresponsible or maybe dangerous for them to open. But like the data doesn't support that, unfortunately. They, they're on. So we're going off the HSE. Do you know what, Michael? I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you back there to Terry for a second and see, Terry, can yourself or Fergal get Michael onto a better line for me? Because I want to give him an opportunity to answer what the Taoiseach has said, and that's a pretty lousy line. I'll do a quick break and we'll come back and see if we can tidy that line up. Sorry, Michael, hold on there a sec. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See motors.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. The Triscoll Gallery space has reopened again and is welcoming visitors from Thursday to Sunday at 2 to 6pm. Currently exhibiting at the gallery is Stephen Doyle. Nom, with further details on upcoming events available at triscolartscentre.ie Access all areas Collins will be hosting some live music during December bringing some brilliant Irish music to the Douglas Street venue. Those playing include Lisa Hannigan, LX1's Paul Noonan Mary Coughlin and Mick Flannery Very limited tickets are available for these shows due to restrictions so check collins.ie very soon Access all areas Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now, 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96FM. Right, we've got Michael Donovan now on a clearer line. Michael, thanks for your patience with that one. You wanted to make a point about, you're saying that what Michal Martin said yesterday is not supported by data. What data? Well, PJ, they have two forms of data that they use. One is the HSE national surveillance data, which forms the clusters and reports back. And on that report from week 44, now granted that was two weeks ago, um, we were uh, 0.19 of a percent, not 1% even, of the clusters um, that have formed so far um, from COVID-19. And hospital, like restaurants were 0.22 of a percent, so again, not even 1%. And when they spoke about the EY report that the Cabinet decision made their decision for, uh, from the narrative of that report, uh, when they spoke in summary, uh, spoke very much so about wet pubs being open in September. But on page six, when they used the analytical data from it, never once on page six, with all the outbreaks in both the first and second wave, as they discuss, never once did it mention any hospitality, any public house, um, any wet pub, any traditional pub in that data. So it's disappointing to hear him saying that the data... So if he has more data, we'd love to see but, but it. There's also, uh, Michael, global data from countries which do far better and far deeper diving in terms of contact tracing than we do, where they say that the bones of 50% of patient zeros, i.e. the first person to start the cluster, had been in a public house in the last two weeks. I appreciate that, PJ, but one thing I will say is look across Europe, look at our guidelines. Other than the two metre, one metre, that's the only similarity that we have. And, okay, closing times, you can say uh, curfews, uh, possibly, but the rest of them don't have the stringent guidelines that we have. We haven't seen them in any other country. So the HSE, true fault Ireland... But look at the state of Europe at the moment. Look at the state of Italy. Look at the state of, of Belgium. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I, I'm I not comparing apples and, apples and oranges here. Yeah, I appreciate that. One of, the reason, one of the reasons that we are presently among the most successful in Europe at tackling this thing, and we still have our own problems, is maybe because of our restrictions. Look, I suppose that's for the, the health people to talk about, but all I can say is, you know, the guidelines were issued, uh, the guidelines that the gastropubs that are operating at now are, are the similar guidelines that we had during the summer when the infection rate was very low. Mm. And like when, when, when you know, 
help people say, I heard it during the week, you know, uh, wet pubs, traditional pubs couldn't be open because people would be up moving around. That's not true because during the summer we had to operate with table service. Nobody was at our counter. You know, people were coming in wearing masks. They were seated. We basically, even though we're, we don't do food, we operated nearly as a restaurant during the, the, the two weeks that I was open in September. People came in. They were seated. If they went to the toilet, they put on a mask. Mm. And they only moved around when they were leaving or going to the toilet. And, and that's all very safe practice, which, which is fine for through, during the day and of a quiet evening. But you can't tell me, Michael, on a Saturday night that that's sustainable when people get a bit leery two weeks to Christmas. But PJ, we, we had to do it during the summer when we were open. Okay, granted, we are September, I should say, uh, and we had two weekends where we had to do it. And the first weekend, I can tell you, the demand to get into every place, like it broke my heart at the door, yeah, PJ. I get that. Uh, with people coming to the door, I like I looked at my pub and you know, I was saying to people, sorry, we're full. It looked empty behind me I know, because I, I was know. doing the two metres. And, and don't get me wrong here for a second, Michael. My, I, I, I sympathise really because there's no, there's, no man likes his, his pint in his wet pub more, more than I. And I miss it terribly. But at the same time, you have to look at, at safety. Is there a possibility of some of your members taking legal action here? Well, look, we we have looked at it, uh, PJ, but unfortunately we're told because it's uh, COVID legislation and COVID, um, the way that the framework is designed, we don't really have much um, much room to stand on, we're told, by legal experts. Look, yeah. we, we've asked the question and we've got the reply, so unfortunately, look, I'm not a legal expert, so I have to go with their, you do. their opinion on it, uh, and that's what we're told. And the supports that the Taoiseach again insisted yesterday were there. Are they there? Are they accessible? Like, particularly, in, it must be very hard for pubs in rural areas. Like, there must be at this stage parts of the city and county where COVID is, is practically gone. And it must be extremely hard in those areas. Are there supports there? Well, <laughs> that's a funny one, PJ, because last week after my conversation with you on the air, uh, we learned a couple of hours later that uh, the CRSS is very welcome and it's a support uh, that we very much uh, appreciate from the government for pubs that are closed. But they issued uh, uh, through revenue last uh, Tuesday that pubs that... Uh, could open that have a kitchen and decide not to open that they will not uh, from this week on be able to access the CRSS mm. so in effect um, they are now forcing some publicans that probably wouldn't have the sufficient standard of a kitchen but they're now forcing them to open probably come this weekend or into next week because they won't be supporting those publicans mm. so on, on one hand the Taoiseach is saying uh, that he, he he feels it's best probably if, if the pubs stay closed but then the revenue are forcing others to open uh, because they're not going to support them so like uh, it's it's we're we're You're caught there between a rock and a hard place. And anecdotally, Michael, there were stories over the weekend, and, and shall I say that my, my information on one of them in particular is rock solid. There were stories of lock-ins. Uh, and, and what is the policy on, on that? Well, look, on the VFI? Very, very, very simple. The guidelines are there for all to follow. It's quite specific. It's closing time at 11 o'clock, out for 11.30. If anybody breaches the guidelines, they should feel the full rigours of the law because the vast, vast majority of publicans have spent a lot of money to get open again mm. last Friday. And it's very unfair if our, if our I suppose, industry... I'm sure if I've heard the stories, so have you. 
Yeah, I, I have, but look, I don't have any... Have you picked up the phone it? to any of your members and said, come here to me, what were you at last Friday? Isn't that the job of the VFI? Uh, well, look, I suppose, PJ, every every member has to operate their own um, their own outlet. We can suggest, we send them the information. Um, and like, well, Now, hang on, well, I get that, but would you not, if you heard good information from someone and you pick the phone up come here to me so and so this is Michael here from the VFI what the hell were you at last Friday are you trying to ruin it for all of us well look if if I had very solid information PJ of course I would but look I suppose the guard, I'm not the guardie I can't force any uh, public to close or to you can't but you are, you are the, you are the representative organisation and, and speak on their behalf and if one of your members is, is acting out a turn surely you can haul them in on it you know well, we can we can certainly ask them, PJ, but I can't force any member to do it. It's a, you know, it, it's a voluntary organisation. We're all members of it, um, so like we 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 we're, we're not the judge and jury for them. They have to take personal responsibility. And look, PJ, if they are breaking the law, they have to go before the courts to apply for their license. So, like, mm. uh, there there is procedures there for the yeah. guardy to, to take action on them. Take off your representative's hat for a second and put on the hat of an ordinary publican with ordinary bills, trying to pay his bills uh, at this time. What's it? What's it like when you sit down with your your ledger, Michael, for the Castle Inn? It's it's very tough, TJ. Because look, um, even though we're closed at the moment, you know, every week you see the outgoings. My insurance, like my heating bill, is astro- is gone astronomical in the last month because when I'm open. You know, you'd have the heating on, you'd have the fire, but you wouldn't have the heating on as much as it is now because it's, uh, you know, there's nobody in the in the place, so it's not getting uh, used and heated. You know, um, it, you know when a crowd is in the in the venue, so like uh, the heating is on like nearly I think ten hours a day at the moment, um, and like I still have to pay. Why, why are you heating it when it's closed? I wonder. Because you just have to keep the place. Look, it's a really old bar, PJ. The timber in there, ah, you know. Gotcha. Like okay. If, okay. If, uh, if I didn't do it, I'd be afraid it could lead yeah. to other problems. Damp and, so, damp and stuff, I suppose, yeah. yes. So yeah. you have to do that. Uh, I like the fire. Uh, my parents like the fire every day. So we just keep it going. Um, and look, you still have your monitored alarm system insurance. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all, all the bills are still coming in, even though we're closed. Um, and like, yes, we get the CRSS. I'm lucky because I'm one of the ones that's mandated to close, but it doesn't meet all the bills. And like, God forbid, I'm lucky. I don't have uh, rent to pay or I don't have a mortgage to pay. I, I really sympathise for my colleagues that have those because the CRSS definitely wouldn't be, be meeting the, the, the demands for those payments. Yeah. All right. OK, Michael, thank you very much. And look, you know, as an individual Publican, I, I sympathise with you with many and many many others uh, with regard to the situation. But uh, on behalf of the VH, the FI, rather, uh, thank you. That's Michael O'Donovan from the Castle Inn, and as I say, local local chair at the moment. I think Mr O'Donovan and Michal Martin are not living in the real world, says this caller. Still on Saturday, you can see young groups falling around the place from takeaway drinks from licensed premises, and you can see the cups and the plastic glasses in their hands. There is a lack of enforcement. We spoke about this a couple of weeks ago and look, there's some takeaway drink from pubs. When you looked deeper into it, we found that there was probably an awful lot more with cans and flagons and shoulders and other such containers from off-licenses drinking in the street. But there was a bit of pub selling going on too. And we were told that the public order Act would be enforced. So we were told that the local bylaws would be enforced. And sure, they're still happening. 
Still happening. 1850-715-996. Let us go back to our competition this week with Corrib Oil. Great giveaway. We've three 500 euro Corrib Oil gift cards to give away on Friday. It's a really practical gift for anyone this Christmas. Corrib Oil, of course, is your local low-cost home heating oil supplier available to buy at CorribOil.com or Station Road Ballincollig. On Friday, we will have five qualifiers, of whom three will win a 500 euro gift card. So if you get through, the odds are good that you'll get a big prize. We have a quote every day from a well-known Christmas movie. I want you to tell me the name of the movie and your name, 083 396 96 96, and at 5 to 12, we'll pick a daily qualifier and we'll put them through. I'd like the court to see Mr. Kringle make the reindeer fly. The only fly is on Christmas Eve. <laughs> What's that movie, please? 083 396 96 So this is Christmas what have you done? Another year over And you won't just be gone And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The
I remember waking up on the morning of the 8th or 9th of December to the news that John Lennon had been shot dead outside his apartment building in Westside by a man called Mark Chapman. And Chapman at that stage had been arrested. Chapman, only hours before he shot John Lennon, Lennon had signed an album for him. And he was angry and jealous at John Lennon and the success of the Beatles and the success of their lives. So he decided on the 8th of... He'd been a massive fan. He was from Hawaii. He'd been a massive fan of Lennon and the Beatles. But on the 8th of December, 1980, he just turned and shot him in the street and murdered one of the greatest songwriters of all time. Himself and McCartney between them produced some of the finest songs and the finest anthems of not just that era, but of any era. Because their songs, just like that one, just like that John Lennon song, their songs are timeless. And 40 years ago today, we woke up to the horrific news. I was only a teenager that John Lennon had been shot dead. So uh, we think of him today and we think of the incredible legacy of music that he left us. 1850-715-996. Some new sports coming into the Olympic Games. They're doing away with the 50-kilometre walk. That's in uh, 2024 in Paris. They're bringing in new sports. Skateboarding is coming in as a sport. Climbing is coming in as a sport. And surfing is coming in as a sport. As to is, are you ready for this, lads? Are you ready for this? Break dancing. The what? Break dancing as an Olympic sport. Professor Griff Rolofsson is professor of music at UCC and specialises, we've talked before, Griff, you specialise in, in hip-hop. This is a strange one. Break dancing as a sport. Good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? Great. I suppose for the hip-hop community, it's a great day. Yeah, um, it's uh, the the hip hop Twitter is blowing up with um, people excited about the uh, the getting some visibility for this art form. Um, it's it, it is there are some detractors both from outside um, the art, you know, saying, "Oh, what what is this nonsense?" Um, but also within this within the um, artistic scene that says, you know, ah, it's not really. Um, we don't want to reduce it to this kind of judging it. It's it's an art form, mm. and it's a community art form that comes from you know working class communities. It's a remarkable skill, though. Some of the moves are yeah. incredibly oh, skillful. Oh, it's incredible athleticism and artistry. And just thinking about it, you know, how would you judge this kind of thing? I can totally imagine um, it being sort of there be being a technical components and um, artistic components uh, judged. I and guess yeah, it's like synchronized swimming. We never, we never knew how they'd judge synchronized swimming <laughs> either, but they did. <laughs> yeah, know? I mean, you can see it in, in, in figure skating. You can see the technical elements versus the artistry. Like, I think we're, we're pretty used to that. So it won't, be, it won't be any surprise, and people will be stunned by what these people are able to do. Yeah. We've got people right here in Ireland, um, Toby Omoteso from the Limrockers, from the Limerick crew, and Ines from the Rebel Rockers here in in Cork City, right. uh, these breaking crews across the country are amazing. Right. I suppose you could also look at a, a, as a form of like floor gymnastics with compulsory elements and all of that. It would exactly be like that. Yeah, that's you're right. That's probably the, the closest um, yeah. analog to what we'd be talking about here. Could we see videos of say Ines and and Toby? 
Yeah, so Toby's got an amazing one with um, everybody will know, uh, God knows, and Merle and Hazy, um, some of the Limerick um, and Shannon um, rap crews. There's a video called Mup I Said. Go check that out. Um, and Toby's in that one doing some amazing artistic moves, but also, like I say, amazing um, technical feats, flips from, you know, standstill, like just amazing things. And I suppose when things get better, we'll be, and if, if they are going to be trying to make it to, to Paris in 2024, we'll be able to see them in public in exhibition. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they'll, uh, he, uh, Toby's already posting about it, you know, like, I um, can't remember what the, what the Twitter handle was, but it's, you know, it's um, uh, breaking for gold. I think that, that nice was Nice one. Nice one. Yeah. I see here some people in the hip hop community are, are against it because they think it's, they see breakdancing as a free form of expression and, and to put it into compulsory elements would be to reduce its, its skill set. Is, is, is that fair? Yeah, right. That's, that's the question. I, you know, I think it can be done well. I was just talking to my um, team member, Jace Ung, who's uh, from Melbourne, Australia, works on the Cypher project with with me at UCC. And he was saying in, J- in Japan, they've really got it figured out. That's where they first did this as part of the Youth Olympics. Um, and he said in Japan, they've really done a good job of bridging the sort of community-centered, you know, like I say, this is a in hip hop, we say these art forms, whether it's rapping or DJing or graffiti writing or breakdancing, we say these are forms that created something from nothing. That's yeah. hip hop. It's, yeah. it's, it's working class communities, people who don't have anything. Um, these are sustainable, socially responsible sports that don't require permanent facilities. Yeah. They engage young people from urban communities and um, not only like skateboarding in that regard. All you yeah, need is a board exactly. and four wheels. All you need is your head and shoulders and bounce on them. Is for... <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is like a piece of cardboard. Like when I came up as a kid, you know, 1982, 1983 in Milwaukee, you grab a piece of cardboard and you get your friends together, um, maybe a boom box to play the music and you work work out your routines. Yeah. But the, the point is that, yeah, they need to... Um, this Jay said... In Japan, they've done a really good job of sort of keeping the community-centeredness of it while also having these sponsorships, um, having good... um, They've sort of kept the community ethos of it alive even as it became high-profile and sort of commercial. Well, now now I guess it goes into into the Olympics as a sport and we'll all get to watch it and probably become overnight, become pundits. But thank you for that. That's uh, Professor Griff Rolofsson from UCC, uh, specialising in in hip-hop. It's coming. Breakdancing in the Olympics. Did you ever think it when some fella threw himself on the ground in Chandra's all those years ago and started waving his legs around in the air that eventually it would be an Olympic sport? The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. 1857-15996 is the number to call. Text WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Few responses in with regard to the pubs and reports of illegal lockdowns and all of that. Um, Mag's also giving out a little bit to me on Twitter. She said, ah, yeah, blame the guards. There was a huge guard the presence around at the weekend. And the reopening went off very well. Yes, you'll get the ones who broke the rules. But COVID or no COVID, that will happen. But the point is, Mags, that in a heavy guard of presence, when someone is spotted breaking the rules, they should have their collar felt so they don't do it again. 
That's the point I'm trying to make. It's great having guards on the street and great to see them. But they need to start sort of putting the wind up a few people. That's what I'm trying to say and a lot of other to say. Michael says, I'm a barman out of work because the pub has been kept closed. All the pubs in our area were closed, but the GAA bar was open. Paul says, I passed a prominent city bar at 8 o'clock. There wasn't a soul sitting at a table, but 11 or 6 to 10 people, sorry, 6 to 10 people sitting at the bar, which is not permitted. Not at all. PJ, not everyone that visits their local pub gets intoxicated in the way you're portraying it. Please, be, I, I mentioned to Michael O'Donovan that, you know, keeping table service and people going back and forth to the toilet wearing their masks and all of that, that that might get a bit difficult on a Saturday night when people are a bit leery about half past ten trying to keep order in the house. That's the point I was making. Uh, not everyone visits their local pub gets intoxicated in the way you're portraying it. Please be respectful to my customers and our ability to adhere to the guidelines. May I ask if you got drunk last Friday night? Regards, Paddy Deneen. Is that Paddy Deneen the councillor? Asking me if I got drunk on a Friday night? For for, for your information, Paddy, I didn't. I had a couple of pints with with, with me dinner. None of your damn business anyway, whether I did or not. But people do get leery with a few drinks in them. 1850-7159. Yeah, that is him. Paddy, I'm surprised that you're asking such a question. None of your blasted business. But I wasn't, if you care. I wasn't, and I have many witnesses to say that I wasn't. Oh, God, you can do nothing, can you? You can do nothing. You go outside the door within the rules as laid down. And some people start throwing that rubbish at you. I expect better from a city councillor. Thank you. PJ, I own a martial arts school. I really don't get why gyms can open with individual training but no exercise classes. We are for individual training, but we can be an exercise class too. It's so confusing. Can you help to explain? Thank you. I can't. Done's the rules. You can't have classes, but you can have individual training. That's how it is under level three of lockdown. Speaking of lockdown, a brand new documentary airing tonight on Virgin Media One at nine o'clock. It's brand new. I saw an interview the other night on the Matt Cooper show with Zara King, who has put it together. Uh, their Virgin Media News reporter who has attended pretty much all of the daily Neffet and Department of Health briefings. So where you found the time to actually do this, Zara, I've, I've no idea. But it's it's new and you've got a lot of interviews that I don't think have been done before. Good morning. Yes, good morning, PJ. Yeah, it's been a very busy couple of months for us. Uh, June documentary has kind of been on top of the day job. So yeah, it has been a lot of 14-hour days. But definitely a very important story to tell. I was passionate about the fact that we need to take a moment really to look back and reflect on the year that we've had. Um, you know, there's more than 2,000 families now facing into their first Christmas without a loved one. And I suppose the reality of what unfolded this year really comes into sharp focus at a time of year like this. So, yeah, it was important for us to sit down with those families and hear about their experience and hear about what this year has been like for them while also talking to key decision makers about their thoughts and feelings. Like, I remember sitting myself in the Department of Health night after night and wondering, 
what are they thinking and feeling as they make these really significant decisions for us? So having the opportunity to sit down and ask them straight out was actually something incredible and, and it, it'll play out tonight in the documentary. Were you surprised at the answers they gave you? Yeah, I was. I mean, I think all of us, if you put yourself in their shoes, would understand that they were very tough decisions to make. Um, you know, and I suppose a lot of the decisions that changed all of our lives were in the hands of a small group of people. And a lot of people might know this. I didn't know this till I made the documentary was that there's a meeting room up on the sixth floor in the Department of Health called Room 631. And it's actually inside that room where a lot of those big decisions are made. And a lot of them spoke about that room, Dr. Tony Houlihan, Simon Harris, about the conversations that took place in that room and the tough decisions that happened be made. Simon Harris talking about how the night before lockdown was announced um, the Neffin had met till midnight that night and then Simon Harris and Simon Coveney had gone over then to meet Dr Tony Hulan and they were meeting in the early hours of the morning, like 3 o'clock in the morning and he talked about how when that meeting ended he was looking out the window across the city, there's an amazing view from the Department of Health across Dublin city centre and just looking at the lights in the distance and looking at the houses and thinking, I mean, how are we going to tell people in the morning that they can't go back to work, they have to close their business, their children aren't going to go to school. I mean, it really was a watershed moment for us as a country and as a people. It changed everything for us. Yeah. Dr. Holohan has given countless interviews uh, on national media since this began. Did you get anything else from him that surprised you? In terms of, I suppose, just to hear his own personal take on things, you know, like he talks about the early stages. He was very frank and open about the early stages, particularly in January when we were seeing what was happening in Wuhan. And he speaks about being out for dinner with his family for his daughter's birthday the second week in January and being totally distracted while at dinner and checking his phone and sort of monitoring what was coming through from Wuhan. So it was interesting to get those kind of anecdotes and insights. I hadn't heard him talk about that really before and to hear him talk about how the preparations were put into place. And then as we went through the pandemic, you know, making the decision to restrict people's movements and to lock things down. He hates the term lockdown, by the way. Dr. Hulan yeah. is, is against the term lockdown and he's very clear on that. He prefers to call it the stay-at-home period, but realistically, colloquially, all of us do refer to it as lockdown. Um, but also just, I suppose, giving us insights into like his feelings and thoughts at that time, you know, talking about the night that Leo Varadkar addressed the nation. It was the Friday night where the lockdown was firmed down and that was it and the country was closing and he was talking about walking back through the city that night in Dublin and how quiet it was and how there wasn't a car, there wasn't a person and Cork was the same cities, towns right across this country. Just sheer silence fell. Yeah. Um, One of the first people we ever spoke to on this programme about uh, COVID-19 was actually Killian de Gascoon. Uh, I dated back to about the third week in January when we spoke to him here. And, and they very much back then, they were nervous of it, but they didn't realise just how terrible it was going to become. Is, is that reflected in the document? Yeah, it is. Killian de Gascoon is in the documentary as well, and he does say that. Like, he talks about the fact that when he saw the virus making its way through Europe and when it got to Italy that, you know, he says himself, to quote him, he says it was scary because it was actually scary to see it coming to Italy because all of a sudden it didn't feel so far away anymore and it was relatable. A lot of us had been to Italy on our holidays. We knew Italy, we knew the people, we could relate to them. It was just getting so much closer. And he talks about, you know, the rush to develop the testing system, you know, that they were they were for rehearsal testing for a couple of weeks before that first case was confirmed on the 29th of February. I mean, 
I think a lot of them had kind of accepted that it was going to come to Ireland. That was the consensus I got from Dr. Houlihan and Dr. Degascon is that they knew it would come here. But it was a real waiting game through the month of January and February, just waiting. And to some degree, it was nearly a bizarre relief when the first case was confirmed because at least it was like, right, we can cope with it and deal with it now. Whereas before that, the waiting game was almost quite stressful. Yeah. In terms of families, obviously, and, and I suppose, I suppose as, as a journalist for you, that must have been the, the hardest part, put, putting, going before families and, and having them tell you their very deeply personal stories. Yeah, it is, PJ, and you're the same on your programme every day. You know, as a journalist, you never take for granted how serious this is and how significant it is for someone to sit down in front of a television camera and talk to you for an hour, an hour and a half about something that has completely changed their lives, one of the most raw experiences they're going to live through. So it was difficult. The interviews were tough, you know. We had to stop and start a lot of the time because people were so upset and that's completely understandable. You know, this is still very new. Let's be honest about it. You know, even people who died in the very early stages of the pandemic back in March, that's only, what, nine, ten months ago? You know, for anyone going through a bereavement, they will know that first year, the first birthdays that they missed, particularly now the first Christmas, all of these things are still really, really raw for these families. And we have to remember, like all of us were frightened in the beginning. I was frightened. I don't know about you, but I was yes. frightened in the beginning. When I when we were sent home to work from home um, in the middle of March, I remember thinking, oh my God, I don't know what's going to happen. How many of us are going to come back when we eventually do come back? These are very real conversations that all of us were having in those early stages of the pandemic. We didn't know what was going to happen next. And for these families, they never thought that it was going to come into their home. They never thought that this, you know, global virus that began in China would eventually come into their home and take someone away. And that's the reality of what happened to them this year. And they're still, I think a lot of them are still very numb, if I'm honest about it. I think it's still only just hitting a lot of them. And I think it's something that they may never get over. Yeah. I guess, you know, for those of us who've been covering it since day one as well, Zara, and I mentioned at the start mm. of this, you've been to pretty much every every briefing. Did, did, did you think back in maybe late February when your, your editor designated you to go and attend a, a conference in the Department of Health that you'd still be going in December? No, I didn't, if I'm really honest. I absolutely didn't. I don't think any of us knew that, did we? I mean, even probably doing your first show that first week in March, you probably didn't even realise. None of us knew. You know, I think in the early stages, we were all living kind of week to week, weren't we? I mean, we were kind of saying, oh, yeah, should listen by the summer now. This will be grand. Yeah. And, and some of us were thinking, Asher, by June now, should it be all wrapped up? And we were so... We just didn't have a clue. Like, we were so naive. None of us knew. Um, that very first night where the first case was confirmed, it was a Saturday night, the 29th of February. Yes. I had been working that weekend because I was on shift that weekend and I came home. And in all honesty, I come home and had two glasses of wine. I was on the couch and I got an email to say, first case is confirmed. You've got to get to the Department of Health in 30 minutes. So I had to ring a taxi, go back upstairs, throw a dress on, sort of run into the Department of Health that night. And even sitting in there that night, there was this kind of nervous energy in the department. And it was like, oh, my God, OK, right, this is the first case. Like, it was it was frightening. But then at the same time, it was like, OK, we can manage this. One seems fine. I never anticipated that, like, we fast forward, what was it, eight weeks later, and I'd be standing there reporting 77 people dying in one day. I mean, that was, for me, PJ, as a reporter, the day that we reported the 77 deaths, it was the highest number of deaths reported in one day. I still, I can't even watch back the news from that day. I'd never watch it back because I was, I got such a fright. I really did. Like I was, you know yourself, like as a journalist, when we're reporting on stuff day after day, you know, 
you become used to dealing with grief and you become used to dealing with these types of things. But like, in all honesty, there was never a point where I got used to the amount of our own people who were dying. It just wasn't. It just seemed so wrong to me. Like in any case, if two or three people died in Ireland from something, it would be like the lead story for weeks and weeks. You know the way stories and news, the news cycle works. It would be the main story. And all of a sudden, the numbers were getting bigger and bigger. And it was almost like people were becoming used to it. And that used to really upset me. I think, yeah, we can't get used to this. We must never never get used to it, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. we must never get used to it. Because, and even now, let's look at it now. You know, a lot of people were talking about reopening the country and it's great. And of course, we have to be positive. We need to focus on moving forward and being positive. But even at that, you're still reporting. Like on Saturday, 13 deaths were reported on Saturday. That's 13 families who are coping now with the paired back funeral, dealing with losing their loved one. And, you know, they mustn't be forgotten. And any other day, if 13 people died in Ireland from anything, we would be reporting on it for weeks on end. Yeah. It's become almost normalised, which is a terrible thing. Yeah, it is. And I think we just need to take a moment to remember that it's not normal. It's actually not, you know. And... We ha- and normalising it as a coping strategy for all of us, and that's totally understandable. But I think you know we need to take a second to just reflect and remember that you know these are people who lived and were loved, and they lived valuable lives, and they mattered, and we and we lost them to this. Yeah, Sarah, I look forward to watching you tonight. I, I expect and uh, I predict a great piece of work, and uh, congratulations on it. And for for your work and the work of your own television team. Kept keeping you. us updated day in, day out. I know you have strong Cork connections, so you're kind of one of our own. Zara, yes. thank you for I'm that. I'm born in Cork, so yeah. I'm looking forward to spending Christmas in Cork, actually. I'm going to be in West Cork for Christmas, and I'm really looking forward to being right. reunited with my family. Good for you, and may they all stay safe. Zara King from Virgin Media News. That documentary, Ireland Under Lockdown, COVID-19 Stories, on Virgin Media 1 tonight at 9. Can I just mention at this date, we were talking myself and Zara there about how journalists kind of said, ah, no, this will be okay by the summer and this won't last and this will be fine. And this, One guy who didn't, and he's sitting about 25 foot away from me, one man who didn't, from the very first interview we put on the air, Fergal Barry always said no. The sage shake of the head. He always said, no, PJ, this is much bigger than any of us realise. How right he was. 1857-15996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Cork's 96 FM. Pat has been on. Uh, he's obsessed with me about... When I mentioned John Lennon, I played the um, Christmas John Lennon song. And I mentioned to him that I mentioned that this is 40 years ago today that he was shot dead outside his apartment building in New York. And I, I mentioned the name of the killer. Uh, PJ says, don't ever mention the name of the maggot who murdered John Lennon on his anniversary. It's an unwritten rule in broadcasting, says Pat. I don't think so, Pat. I really don't think so. I think that's not telling the story. Anyway. 1850-715-996. Here's something I want you to listen to. We're playing a few of these uh, up in, in the run to Christmas because there's so many school groups and choirs and various other organisations putting together little 
musical offerings for the festive season that all we can do is give them a minute or so. Um, but they are, you know, they they have their place on the show in the run-up to Christmas. This one uh, comes from Terence McSweeney Community College. I don't want a lot for Christmas Just get us out of quarantine We're still gonna get our presents Even if it's level three I just want to go back to normal Christmas for me and you. We're gonna make it through Merry COVID Christmas to you. Eva Corbett's a teacher at the college. Hi, Eva. Hi, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, that's a nice re- rewrite and a good bit of work on behalf yeah. of them. How did it come together? So um, I teach a lot of um, creative subjects up in Terence McSweeney for transition year. and We were looking for a music and a movie project. And um, I came up with the idea initially, but it takes a lot of teachers and a lot of students to, you know, uh, make that a reality. So, um, yeah, we, we talked about rewriting the words to Mariah Carey's famous song. And um, the kids actually came up with all the things that, you know, would happen in a normal Christmas. And maybe what are the things that we'd have to change? And, like, I suppose Shirley Hayes is one of the TY students that really contributed to the songwriting mm. and then we have some fantastic singers yeah. Cara Shirley and Chloe being the main ones in TY yeah. who, who particularly is that wonderful singer on the intro that's Cara she's yeah she's Cara Cullen she's fantastic she does actually a load of herself and Sophie do a lot with um, Gary McCarthy up in the ah, cabin as well I might have known <laughs> I might yeah, have known to be one of GMC's people in there I might yeah have. yeah yeah. Super, super talented girl. Yeah, and yeah. they're all they're all very talented. It was and a then, very hard um, thing to film because you had to social distance it all. Oh God, yeah, it's it's a bit of a headache, really. But um, we wanted to show it was possible as well. So, like the kids are fantastic. You know, secondary school kids are wearing can't move from classroom to classroom. Are wearing their masks in class all days with their teachers. They get regular mask breaks, all right. But it is it's a it's a loss of um, it's very tiring for them, and they've been absolutely champions they've just actually got on with it wearing their masks and they they know what they need to do and um, so we, we were very lucky we we, we like had to incorporate the masks and make sure social distancing was happening when we were doing the video yeah. because obviously we want to send out a positive message as well for Christmas and were there a um, lot of retakes and edits to keep people separate <laughs> and make it look like they weren't <laughs> no, they were very good. We're very lucky. We have a lovely library um, in our um, run by Anne, our librarian in the school. And um, we didn't have to do a lot of retakes because we kind of knew from the start that um, we would have to, you know, be using our masks, especially if it's going out on social media. Yes. We wouldn't want oh, anyone. No. Yeah. Oh, social media police. <laughs> oh, I tell you now. Yeah. yeah, we wouldn't want to be. Um, yeah, we wouldn't have wanted any kind of negativity. We wanted to keep it as positive as absolutely yeah, possible. Yeah. And it has been. It's people have been really supportive. I'm wonderful, and it's a lovely, it's a lovely bit of work. Uh, it is. It's heartwarming, and you know, like it has over fourteen hundred views on YouTube already. So yeah. we're delighted with that. There's fierce excitement. We, we we might even share that on our platforms, and people that would be great. <laughs> Eva, I know that there's someone you want to mention has a birthday. Yes, I just wanted to say hi to uh, happy seventeenth birthday to Nikita Hayes. 
who, um, yeah, we're, I'm actually out with our LCA students at the moment. We're visiting Leash Community Garden in Nathnahimi for one of their tasks. So hi to the LCAs and especially Nikita who turns 17 today. All right. Happy birthday, Nikita. And well done to everyone who takes part in Merry COVID Christmas from Terence McSweeney Community College. That's their teacher, Eva Corbett. Thanks, Eva. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Lehan Motors, leading the way for Toyota hybrids. The place to order your 211 Toyota. See lehanmotors.ie. Santa Baby. For non-stop Christmas hits. Non-stop Christmas hits. My Christmas present for you. Listen to Cork's 96 Miss. Streaming online now. With the Pavilion Ballygarvin, where their delightful bakery and cafe is now open so you can experience the true taste of Christmas. See the pavilion.ie. Download our app or see 96fm.ie. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850 715 996. On Cork's 96FM. Did you ever get the urge to just go out and wreck something? Destroy something? Make smithereens of something? Just to get your aggression out? Just to make yourself feel better do you ever feel like walking into a scrapyard and taking a sledgehammer to an old car and bashing the seven bells out of it you can do that you know and it's actually called destruction therapy and there's a place or a few places in the UK where you can do it I watched a video in the last couple of days of where they just did that they shot a car with 2020 written on the side of it. They shot the car with real shotguns and then they bashed it up with sledgehammers and then some fella got into a tank and drove over the car. But this was all a form of therapy. Dan, destructive therapy is your thing. Good morning to you. It certainly is. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Delighted to talk to you. Very well, sir. What is, I mean, it's, it's, it's not new, but what is destruction therapy? Well, I think um, some people just need to relieve tension in a physical way. Some sports are great for this, like rugby, boxing, things like that. Um, you know, but they're not for everyone. They're not everyone's cup of tea. Our sort of rage yard experience just gives anyone the chance to take out their frustration in a really fun, enjoyable way. How, how do we get pleasure or why do we get pleasure from wrecking something? I think it's different for different people, but um, modern day life is quite restrictive, um, which I think frustrates people a little bit, especially during the pandemic. Um, And when you're shooting or crashing a car in a tank or something like that, you are just 100% in control of what you're doing. And I think people like that, like the freedom. Yeah, I I was watching that video and the, the little car with 2020 written on the side of it. So clearly that was <laughs> representing the year, and by God, they took hell out of it. They made Mary did. Bell out of it, like. <laughs> it was actually me driving the tank at the time, so, <laughs> yeah, it? I loved it. <laughs> what kind of customers come to you? So for this rage art experience, we kind of thought it was going to be like a uh, younger male demographic, uh, but we've actually been quite surprised that it's been literally all sorts of people from all different walks of life that have um, uh, sort of applied to, to come on these sort of experience days. Um, even people that aren't stressed out, really. I think a lot of people just think it looks like a great crack and they want to get involved regardless, even if they're not stressed out. So that's it. It's been great. The, uh, 
the number of people that have approached us about it. Yeah. Do you think that the, the, the pandemic and everything it's caused in our lives, you know, it's obviously had different emotional effects on us all. Has aggression risen in us? Has our, our normal levels of aggression risen? It's difficult to know, really. I think um, it's certainly caused a lot of stress and people obviously take out stress in different ways. So um, it, potentially it has. I think in some people, what I would say is I would challenge anyone to do this uh, experience, say, of us, this rage yard experience, driving tanks and still feel stressed at the end of it. Yeah. How does one book a session? Well, it's nice and easy, actually. So you can go through to our main website, which is scrapcarcomparison.co.uk, and there's a link for the rage yard on there where you can enter there or look us up on Facebook or Instagram at Scrap Car Comparison. Follow us on there, and you can see there's a Rage Yard post there which says how you can take part. The first official one is actually going to be in January, so I've already done it with a team of uh, team of our guys, and we absolutely loved it. It was a brilliant day out, really, really good fun. It lasts quite a while as well. It's about six hours in total of shooting, crashing, blowing up cars, which is, um, yeah, a great stress reliever for sure. I love it. <laughs> Absolutely... You come and give it a go, PJ. I'd I'd fight you to drive the tank, though. I love to drive the tank. <laughs> well, I've done it. I've done it already, so it's going to be your turn next. <laughs> no, it sounds like great fun, and and for, I suppose, how about, how much does it cost to take part for the day? So we're doing it as a bit of fun. So we're charging uh, twenty pounds and twenty p, which is a bit of a take on the twenty twenty. I like it. Sort of nightmare we've had the reality is it costs us quite a bit more than that but we're offering it uh, all the way through 2021 we're going to do several of these days and we're going to mix them up and do a few other new bits as well added on to them but we just want to get as many people as we can to sort of uh, enter and get involved with it and uh, just have a really cracking day uh, driving tanks really you should open a franchise here because I'd say people would queue up to do it Dan good to talk to you that's Dan, Dan Gick is his name he's from scrapcarcomparison.co.uk destruction therapy take a car or a piece of equipment or just wreck it just wreck it for four or five hours and pay 20 pounds sterling to do it it just sounds like so much fun this is not something that's new I remember years ago seeing something on the news about a warehouse that they converted where people could go in and, and use their pent-up aggression where they set up some concrete walls inside in a warehouse like concrete panels inside in the warehouse and like they were like, they were like making a small ball alley and you could go in and you, they'd bring loads of glass bottles and plates and other breakable stuff. And you just make them off the wall. It felt great, I'd say. Do you ever want to do that? Do you ever get, do you ever seriously feel there in the morning in the kitchen or wherever you are, go in the evening and you pick up a cup, right? Or a mug to make a coffee. Do you ever want to just flick it off the wall and make smithereens out of it just to, yeah. That's destruction therapy. 
Well, it's Jeremy Hill's seasonal mixer over on Cox 96, Miss. Last weekend, I mentioned that that's the original and, and very much the best uh, by Band Aid. Do they know it's Christmas? That's 1985. Wow. Then there was a couple of other versions that each one was a kind of a worse level of desecration against the original. Actually, speaking of my seasonal mixer, I'll be back on Cork's 96 minutes at the weekend, 2 to 6, Saturday and Sunday. I do hope you'll join me for that. 1850-715-996. Yeah, that line, Terry is reminding me of that line, tonight, thank God it's them instead of you, is a small little bit sinister. Yeah, I know, but you see, there it is, Terry. We overthink stuff. 30 odd years on. We overthink. God, we could spend our days and nights overthinking everything. 1850 715 There is a wonderful... We've been talking about so many of the m- murals and artworks cropping up around our city in the last few months. And there's a brilliant new one, a really brilliant new one uh, that has propped up now uh, depicting Terence McSweeney. Uh, the Lord Mayor of Cork, who died in Brixton Prison on October 25th of 1920. And it's painted by the Cork-born artist Gareth Joyce. And it's quite a spectacular piece of work. And the present Lord Mayor, the Lord Mayor 2020, joins me to discuss it. Uh, Lord Mayor, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. How are you this morning? Good, good, good. This is a commemoration of the man who wore the chain that you wear 100 years ago. Yeah, there's a there's a, an iconic date on the back of that chain. It was you looking at it yesterday, 1787, Fiji. Uh, that chain was first commissioned. Um, but yes, it's the chain of turns Mike Sweeney uh, wore. And in this year of commemoration, um, you know, it's only right and proper that we commemorate uh, our forgotten, or not, well, I won't say our forgotten Lord Mayors, but our iconic Lord Mayors and Tomás McCurtain and Turns McSweeney, you know, in this particular instance. And um, last October, uh, through uh, this initiative uh, by the Cork Arts Department, um, we, we um, engaged with uh, a group uh, known as Ardu. And uh, the seven street artists have been in, engaged to uh, and commissioned to do um, murals around the city. Yeah. And this one on Liberty Street is quite iconic, as you quite correctly said, Peter. It's fabulous. Describe for us where, we, where exactly we'll find it. On Liberty Street, on the gable end there in Liberty Street. Basically. You can't miss it. Yeah, and it's... where? When was it painted? Uh, last in the, in the last week, PJ. In the last week. And they've done... Um, they're still touching up. Just finishing touches being done to it now at the moment. I know um, the lads are, are working on it at the moment. And I was down at another one there in Washington Street the day before yesterday. So it's an, it's an ongoing work in progress, you know. Yeah. But... but um, to they're, be honest, would you like? Yeah, go on. They're absolutely remarkable. Like, we were talking to the artist who did the hurler here a few oh, weeks yeah. ago. You know, it's, they're, they're, they're remarkable. Well, Harley Street is another one, PJ, um, which is not too far from you, where you're sitting now. Yeah, I've seen that and one. It's lovely. It's absolutely magnificent again. It was a big blank empty wall. What a blank canvas. And what they've done and transformed the street that leads on to Marianne's Bridge. And that whole area there has been, and there was a market there over the weekend. So I, I think, PJ, and I think I know you've alluded to it at certain times on your show, um, sometimes graffiti can be quite unsightly in certain parts of the city and it makes it look a bit dirty and so on. But this particular artwork 
uh, done by this group known as Ardu. And Ardu is the Irish for rides. And, uh, you know, as part of the commemoration, I think it's quite apt because 100 years ago, our city, as you know, was burned to the ground. And in fairness to the resilient people of Cork, we rose from the ashes and we're back to the city it is today. And and this this, uh, initiative... And uh, it, it, has, it won't stop with, the, with these um, 13 or 14 different uh, uh, artworks around the city. Uh, this will continue. And, yeah. and, and, and it goes a long way to brightening up our city. And, puts, and these, these murals are significant to the history of our city. Yeah, they Peter, are. You know? And they're so, so, so well done. They're so excellent. You know, I guess in, in the 2020 that we've had, Joe, yeah. um, to be able to do these big artworks, to mark something like the, the centenary of, of McSweeney yes. and McCourton's death, when we couldn't really commemorate them properly the way we might want to. Yes. These, these, yes. these are a very, very effective stand-in, as it were. Well, art is a universal language. Uh, all kinds of art, whether it is uh, painting, whether it is music, whether it is literal, literary uh, art, whatever, it's a universal language. and It's a universal way of communicating uh, with people and communicating a very strong message, as you quite correctly said. And obviously, we can't meet in large groups to do this. Now, we've done we've done a lot of commemorative events, such as laying wreaths on the graves of McCurtain and McSweeney. Um, uh, we've had various events in City Hall, particularly pre-COVID. Back in January, we had our special council meeting. And um, next Friday, PJ, we have uh, obviously the anniversary, 100-year anniversary of the burning of Cork. So there are a number of things, PJ, next Friday for that, you know. Um, we have, uh, obviously, um, the the, uh, the unveiling of a plaque at Dillon's Cross, commemorating Dillon's Cross ambush on, yeah. on Friday morning. Um, which is, and, and that's what kicked off the burning of Cork, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Um, and on Friday night, um, actually it happens, 10 on Friday night, we have an event in the city centre, um commemorating the uh, burning because it was around that time 100 years ago that the, the, the British forces started setting fire to the city centre the Carnegie Library and the city hall and they literally tore the heart out of the city yeah. but um, in fairness to the, the Cork Fire Brigade at the time and they didn't have the equipment they have today obviously but you know the people of Cork rose and the city was rebuilt and it is now the city we see today and it's uh, it's a tribute to the people of Cork yeah okay well, you know what, Joe, these artworks and these commemorations are so important. Yeah. And and um, thank you for joining us on the show too. And PJ, can I just say thank you for highlighting it because it's so important that we do highlight and showcase what's good about Cork City. There's enough bad news out there and it's great to see uh, likes of yourself highlighting the positives. You have to do it Thanks all the time. That. Thank you very much. That's the Lord Mayor, uh, Joe Kavanagh. Yeah, you find that uh, wonderful artwork on Liberty Street. October 25th, we mentioned it on the day and there was a super, I hope you get it on the RTE player the RTE player is a very strange machine a very, very strange yoke like the net, Netflix works like a dream Amazon works like a dream Virgin Media player works like a dream RTE player, it's hit and hope I'm sorry, like it is, it's hit and hope I went looking for a, a programme last week, there's a brilliant documentary series on the famine the Hunger, it's called, with um, Liam Neeson voicing over and a lot of people talking about it. I haven't had the time or been in the humour to watch it. Jesus, trying to find it on the flipping RTE player to download and watch. Oh, give it that pip. Anyway, 
1850-715-996. Let's do this one more time. Remember all this week we're giving you the chance to win with Carib Oil. Three five hundred euro Carib Oil gift cards. Give them out on Friday. Everyone who gets through as a daily qualifier has an opportunity to win one. So we have five qualifiers and three prizes. So it's fairly good odds for you on Friday. Carib Oil, of course, is your local low-cost home heating oil supplier available to buy at CaribOil.com or at Station Road Ballancolic to get your opportunity for one of our qualifying positions. We have a quote for you from a well-known Christmas movie. Tell us what the movie is, please. I'd like the court to see Mr. Kringle make the reindeer fly. The only fly is on Christmas Eve. <laughs> marvellous, marvellous movie. What is it? Your name and the name of the movie to 83 396 I'd like the court to see Mr. Kringle make the reindeer fly. The only fly is on Christmas Eve. <laughs> What's the movie, Claire? Hi, DJ. It's Miracle on 34th Street. It sure is. Which one is your favourite? The old black and white one or the one from 1994? No, the one from 94 with the girl from Matilda. I love that movie. Yeah, and, and Dickie Attenborough, who was brilliant in it. Yeah, I love that movie. That's a marvellous movie. The original is a gorgeous little one too from it's 1900 and Frozen to Death, but it's the, the 1994 one was the really big hit. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're a qualifier for today, so you go forward. Okay, you go forward to Friday when you have a three out of five chance of winning Thanks. one of our vouchers with Coraboil. All right? Thanks. I'll pray to St. Anthony. For lost causes? I don't think so. Sorry, he, he sorts me out. He does me lots of favours. <laughs> All right, fair play, Claire. <laughs> Thank you. 1850-715-996. Claire is in Dunmanway in West Cork. She goes forward to join us for the Carab Oil, Carab Oil Draw at the end of the week. They're with us every day with a Christmas movie. That's one, actually. We're gonna, we might do something with the Christmas movies coming closer to Christmas, looking for your favourite. But there's two versions of, of Miracle on 34th Street. And I was thinking about it last week when we were doing our little Miracle on Little Hanover Street. That's the one that people seem to really love was the 1994 version with Dickie Attenborough and the little kid from... Matilda, but have a look at the old one. It's just gorgeous. It's ancient, but it's lovely. 1850 715 That's our lot for today. We're done and dusted. The programme edited by Terry Brennan, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Podcast comes up in the afternoon, repeating the wee small hours. Mind yourselves. Talk to you tomorrow just after nine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, I have two new obsessions that I need to share with you. Impress No Glue Press-On Mannies and Impress Press-On Falsies Lashes. Trust me, these are getting ready game changers. Both require no glue, so there is no damage to your natural nails and lashes, no mess, and no annoying dry times. Just one step and you're done. Boom. Instant glam. Visit impressbeauty.com slash presson and use code PRESSON25 at checkout for 25% off Impress Manicure and Press-On Falsies.